Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. You know, Brene Brown would say that shame is correlated with a recidivism, right? Shame makes the person do the thing again. I would go a little step, I would go a step further. Shame is a strategy to make sure they do it again. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. This episode concludes a four-part series on the necessity of exposure and the factor of shame on the journey of change. It's a fascinating look at the emotional root issue of seemingly complex world problems, the power of exposure, and how understanding shame makes everything both simple and solvable. We also talk about the endless supply of bad apologies in the media today, the metaphysics of Star Wars, the BP oil disaster, and disgraced evangelical leaders. Shame and how it prevents real responsibility is everywhere. This episode is from a recent weekly member webcast. For more information about the many benefits of clear and open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Now let's dive in. You know, I didn't certainly invent this. I'm, I'm trying to put some really specific words around it. But this, this is the psychology of when um, police officers try to get confessions, right? In the movies, you know, the, where they kind of subtly torture people and make them really uncomfortable until they break, which less and less they're doing that. But that's not how it works. Um, you know, how, how it works is they normalize it. You know, and they say things like, hey, you know, if I caught my wife in bed with another guy, I might do something, you know, I might look for the nearest sharp object too, right? What's going on there? They're trying, they're, they're helping the person um, separate from I did something bad and I'm bad. They're saying, oh, no, it's totally normal to have gotten really angry and maybe wanted to kill the guy, right? And so in that case, it's a kind of manipulation, it's a just manipulation if the person actually committed the murder. But you see, that's how powerful it is. When you can normalize a shame reaction, the defenses drop, and now you're in reality. And then, you know, the guy does something that, you know, you could argue in one way is against his own self-interest, and he confesses the murder because the shame has been removed from, hey, he's... The cop's not saying, well, if you confess to the murder now, you know, you're, you're, you're going to go to jail for 25 years. They go, look, everything is going to go so much better for you if you just cooperate with us. <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, I would be upset too. I'm sure the jury would understand that. Right? <laughs> you know? So all of that is about removing the shame. And then the person goes, oh, yeah, you're, you're right. I'm, they go into this imagination of like, oh, yeah, this, this cop understands me. Surely the judge, the jury, and the rest of society would understand as well. I feel so much better. I killed him. Yeah. Great. Just sign this piece of paper <laughs> and you'll be on your way. You'll be just sleeping in your own bed tonight. You know? 
<laughs> Never talk to the police without your lawyer present. Right. That's why the lawyer is there, right? That's how powerful shame is, you guys. It's that incredible. It distorts your whole reality. And, and in sales, shame can be used, uh, can and does get used. And that's the really tricky thing about this kind of shame stuff is because it's such a powerful emotional force in human beings, you can, it can be used to, to support human beings in amazing ways, and it can be used in totally nasty ways too. Just like the Force. That's what I love about the Star Wars movies, right? Because the Force is like this essence of life, and it can be used depending on the human being for good or for bad. But the force itself, it's beyond good and evil. It's just a force. It's not the good force. It's not the happy, wonderful force. It's not the evil, dangerous force. It's just the force. It's, is, it, well, is it a force for good? It's just the force. It's the force. It's so cool. Right? And then the battle is just about whether it should be used for good or bad at the level of the relative. Now we're talking about the metaphysics of Star Wars. What did you want to talk about today, Joseph? What? What did you want to talk about today? Who cares? <laughs> okay. I, I was gonna. I, I was gonna go down the road of uh, what is engagement. That was the, the. That was the inquiry that was gonna bring up. But in, so instead of uh, asking what it was, we demonstrated what it was. You guys have been very engaged today. So here's a, a question to consider with uh, any and all of your employees. Think about like the last time one of them screwed up and did they feel bad enough? Did they feel too bad? Did they go into shame? Or did, or did they actually express remorse? And is anybody screwing up right now? Is there any anything going on like that right now because it's like the 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 thing that I can't be emphasized enough is that you know Brene Brown would say that shame is correlated with a recidivism right shame makes the person do the thing again i would go a little step i would go a step further shame is a strategy to make sure they do it again You've probably all experienced this. It, it's, it can be subtle, but you've probably experienced this in an overt way. When you're trying to get someone to admit they made a mistake, and instead of making a mistake, they start going on about how what a terrible person they are. You know what I mean? You know, like uh, whenever a like uh, evangelist gets caught in some you know uh, homosexual act in a uh, in a bathroom or something that happens every couple of years when something like that happens or the, you know, the, the Jerry Faldwell type guys caught having an affair or whatever. Who was that guy? Gary Hart. Remember in the eighties, was it Gary Hart was the guy who caught with a prostitute in the hotel or something. Some, some Christian evangelical leader, you know, would get caught doing something that was complete opposite of, you know, everything that they're true to. And then they go to apologize and there's just a total weepy mess about it. That's shame. And they don't actually directly address what happened and, and why. I'm going to talk about this on Thursday, how to actually apologize. Right? In, in, in the public sphere, mostly people's apologies suck. Right? They don't actually define really exactly what happened, talk about the impact it had on other people, explore the root causes and share them. I remember the BP oil disaster in the Gulf, God, was it seven, eight years ago? 
And they, my, my favorite one is they use the passive voice. Yes. The personal voice. Mistakes were made. Yes. I hate <laughs> Who made the mistake? What was the mistake? Right. There were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq that were found, right? I expect from our government a detailed report about all the decision makers, the intelligence that went into that, how exactly it happened, what policy changes and procedures are being changed as a result of having learned about the screw-up. I mean, that's like 100 pages at least. And instead we get mistakes were made. Who's responsible? What were the consequences? What did they need to learn? What aspects of their childhood did it come from? I want to know everything. Right? BP oil disaster, right? CEO resigns. Whew. Well, so glad that'll never happen again. <laughs> Was he the guy in the Gulf drilling the oil? Was he operating a machine? Like what? See? You know, so like, if and when Trump is impeached, that's not going to satisfy me. I want the whole system to change. You know, how it looks to me now is he's gone so off the rails. Any, any congressman or senator who's not actively working to impeach him, they're just as culpable. How, how long does it take to get an insane person out of the White House? <laughs> Ten months? Two years? <laughs> Eight years. Eight years, right? This and this is not the first time. This is the most insane, right? But it's like the did I wait? Did I become enlightened in the last ten months, or has this corruption never been more transparent in the history of the of the country? Right? It's like okay, here it is. There's no arguments. He's tweeting things, you know, lies, indictments. Now, okay, how long does it take? Yeah, like if I could press a button and fire, you know, almost everybody in Congress and the Senate, I would. It's, you know, I'll see if I can find that button for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called the vote. <laughs> Good luck with that. If voting could change anything, they'd make it illegal. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was talking about on Thursday how to actually apologize. Really, I, I just occurred to me in this moment that um, what I'm going to teach on Thursday about uh, the, the clear process for apologizing is, is really the, the architecture of remorse. What is, what is the architecture of remorse? You, using clear. You clearly define what you did. You don't you know, um, futz around it. You don't, you're not indirect about it. You list the impact to yourself, the other people, everyone involved. You squarely look at it and really talk about it. Um, you, you look at the root cause, you assess the personal accountability, here are the ways in which I was at fault, here are the things that I did. And then there's next actions, there's next step, here's what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. Remorse wow. is not just saying, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so What does that mean? Well, I'm sorry, it means I'm sorry. Great. Now what's going to happen differently? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Our company has issued a statement of apology, you know. So it's the same thing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's a problem that needs a solution, right? Yeah, and then look, look, you know, the Harvey Weinstein and now Kevin Spacey, you know, it's like, okay, so there's consequences. That's cool. Consequences are good. But how does the whole system change? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how does that change? 
it's always a content versus context thing because nobody wants to nobody wants to look at hmm after you know after women have been treated extremely badly and let's take women out of it with the Kevin Kevin Spacey thing that was a man to man thing right hmm human beings have a really screwed up relationship with sexuality and have like since the dawn of civilization and it appears not to have gone away what are we going to do about that like what legislators working on that problem <laughs> you know no they're working on making sure kevin spacey doesn't do another uh, se- a season of uh, house of cards oh well that surely will solve the problem he'll get yeah. the message then and so will the rest of society like what the root issue is not getting addressed here yeah same with racism you know you know that gee, this the civil, uh, civil the civil war wasn't really that long ago, and you know, gee, it took like I said in that other webcast, it took ten years for all the segregated water fountains to go away. I wonder if maybe there's still a racism problem in this. In the no, no, certainly not. No, let's just deal with this one individual issue of it <laughs> until the next one, until the next one, until the next one, because. I, I, I guess what I would say is the because the looking at the contextual issue, we've got issues with violence or mental illness related to gun control and whatever door you want to go into, or we've got issues with sexuality related to how women are treated, or we've got issues with racism. The racism thing is one of the most interesting things to me because to me, racism isn't even the root issue. The root issue is critical thinking. To assume you know something about someone because they have more um, melanin in their skin, that's not just racist, it's stupid. (laughs) It's not intelligent, you see? It's not good critical thinking, right? But you see, if you say to a society, if if the president, some different president perhaps, were to say, hey, Americans, this racism thing is obviously not gone and it's been, you know, just because the Civil War is over doesn't mean it's gone. Here's a lot of evidence for it. You know, fundamentally, this is a lack of critical thinking. Thinking you can look at someone and know a lot about them by the color of their skin, folks, that just doesn't make sense. That's not intelligent. So when you do that, you're not being intelligent. Now, don't go into a shame hole with this. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I know you mean well. I know you don't mean to do this. Most racist people are not consciously racist. And that's the problem. Because when it it gets revealed that there's a racist behavior happening, it doesn't fit with how you see yourself. And I know that's difficult. And I know it brings up strong emotions of humiliation or embarrassment. And I'm here to tell you as the President of the United States, that's okay. It's okay that you feel bad about that. We're going to find a way through this. We're going to create programs. We're going to create education. We're going to help you with this because there's racism in you. If you're a white person, there's racism in you. You may not be aware of it, but it's there. Let's finally deal with this once and for all, right? It's been a couple hundred years. In some ways, it's been 10,000 years. How about we deal with this as a species once and for all? We all get smarter and we learn to work with each other better. And you're going to learn something about yourself at the same time. What do you say? Who, who's, who's making that speech? That's the president of the United States. Oh, president. Okay. <laughs> People like that aren't drawn to the presidency. Yes, that's right. And that's why the president of the United States perhaps should be appointed 
like the Dalai Lama is. You just people show up at your house one day and say, "That's it. You're coming with us." <laughs> This is your job. We've determined that you're the best person for the job, but I don't want that job. Yeah, that's why, in part, it's for you. That's what you <laughs> might qualify. <laughs> but look, you, you're going to get to fly around in a nice jet. You get to eat whatever you want. It's not so bad. All right. Just four years. All right. It's like a civic duty, like jury duty. Some people have to do jury duty, other people have to do president duty. Did that work? In, was it uh, Sparta? No, it wasn't Sparta. <laughs> I. No, I, I thought they did it that way in one of the, the two Greek, Greek city-states. Oh, well, in Sparta, yeah, like at 15, yeah. you were taken away from your family and gone into like military camp. Yeah, it must have been at the... Uh, I think there's something to it. You know, like in China, like, you know, if you're a 12-year-old gymnast who has promise, they pull you away and you go into an, an, an Olympic program. There's definitely weird, cruel, like excessively competitive stuff around it, but there's truth to it too. Yeah. It's like the, the kind of freedom that, um, you know, the, 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 the idea of freedom that this country is founded on is not, to me, what freedom actually is. I think there is, a, a, I don't know what it would look like, but there is a, I think it was, a, was a, I forget whether it was a Lenin or, or Karl Marx who said, um, the from each according to their ability and to each according to their need. I think there's something to that from each according to their ability. I think people who have great abilities should have great expectations put on them. And uh, there's a lot of very talented people in, in the world who don't apply themselves. And it, it's, there's, there's, a, there's an unfairness in a way that, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, like in high school, like I sailed through high school. It was easy for me. And I got really great grades. I was near the top of my class most of the years, all the years. Um, after the first three years, I was first in my class and, and I studied like, you know, 35 minutes a night. I don't think that's fair. I shouldn't have gotten grades as good as I did. It should have been weighted somehow. Now, in the end, when I went to college and got my ass kicked, when I was, you know, with 7,000 other undergrads who all were like me and suddenly I realized, oh, you actually have to work to earn good grades. Justice was served, but I had to learn that the hard way. It's a seductive idea that is would be great if it wasn't uh, imposed coercively, I would say. I know. Yeah. yeah. I'm not an implementation guy. One of you guys are going to have to figure out. <laughs> I'm just the idea guy. Okay. Fair enough. I don't know how to make it work. On that note, <clears throat> thanks for being here, you guys. Go expose someone. <laughs> thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.